Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Union Streamcast. I am CT. I know we had two weeks off, but we are back and better than ever before, guys. We have a kick-ass show for you this evening. We will be joined by Mike Collins of Machines of Penalty. Then we'll be talking to Philadelphia Rock historian Joey Bruno. We'll be talking everything to Philly scene, past, present, and future, and uh, just a lot more, guys. To start off the, the podcast to start off the show, I wanted to give a very big, warm, and hearty congratulations to the February Artist of the Month. The February Artist of the Month, it seems like Tuesday, they opened up a killer set with As We Become Ghosts at Union Firehouse two weeks ago. As uh, seems like Tuesday is the February Rock and Roll Union Artist of the Month. If you guys missed it before we came on the air, we also uh, announced the lineup for our fifth birthday bash. It's going to be an exciting evening. The tickets are going to be on sale very soon. Uh, you're going to see Sick Vicky, Carte Blanche, and Scorpio. Scorpio opened, or not opened, but played one of the very first Rock and Roll Union live shows that we've ever done. They did the very first one, which was our original Rock for Recovery. Man, uh five years ago so it's been a long time man they're they're back and excited to have them as well as carte blanche and sick vicky man really happy to see sick vicky back again uh we are talking to everybody in the rock community that the makers and shakers the movers that uh really helped the scene become what it is next week we will be live on location at halftime with marcozello uh owner of halftime great dude we're going to be talking to him and uh discussing the music scene there as well so buckle up it's going to be a good couple of weeks and guys it is my pleasure now to introduce to you one part of machines of penalty my good friend mike collins mike uh let me unmute you mike mike how are you my friend how are you ct i'm doing well Good man, good. Uh, just really uh, excited to talk to you. Uh, you you had played our Christmas bash, our Christmas toys for uh, toy drive, and uh, yeah, the now I got the shirt on, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, man, great place to play. Uh, great owner there, but uh, I want to go back a little ways with you, Mike. You guys have been around for a, quite a long time in the in the local scene. How long have you guys been playing together? 2008 2000 wow so uh, what band been together going on 15 16 years now and who could you say um has there been any many lineup changes uh, there's there's been quite a few yeah it's people come and go um some people have gone out for a spell and they've they've come back um leads us to what we were talking about right before um we went on air there with our, our bass player, Steve Beach, is having some medical issues right now. He, he's put up a pretty good fight. We're trying to get some people together, raise some money for him, um, help him get through this time. Um, while he's out, our old bass player, Dave Voss, stepped back in. Um, but we are doing a benefit concert for Steve at the Trier Tavern in Williamstown on February 19th. And it's going to be from 1 o'clock to about 8 um we'll, we'll be playing a lot of the cover band scenes because steve is big on in the cover scene also he plays in that 
I do know jailbreaks confirmed for it. Um, I do believe um, uh, Chuck Goshen and his band, um, Chuck's Alibi, they're, they're, they're great kind of old, like yeah, jazz Chuck's a great and all dude. that. Chuck's a great dude. So, and like I said, there's a lot of other people in there too. Now, how do people go about um, buying tickets for that event? Um, right now, it's an online event. I do not know that there are tickets sold. I think it's pretty much going to be an open-door policy. You come in, you make a little donation. Um, I do believe the bar is putting some up toward it. I don't I don't know the inner workings of it. That's gotcha. a nice one. I got to show up. I get, they asked me to come, <laughs> us to come and play. I'm going to show up. We're going to play our guitars and we're, we're going to do as we're told that day. So that's it. Now, has there been any kind of like a GoFundMe page or anything else set up? Oh, uh, there has. It's done very well. Um, if you if you search Steve Beach, if you search um, it's on the Machines of Penalty page, obviously. But if you look at any of those spots, you'll you'll find it. It's there, and um, money goes directly to Steve and his family. So, like I said, he, he's he's having a rough road. I think he'll come back, but. It's going to take him a little bit of time to do that. So in the meantime, we can help him out. You know what I mean? That's it. That's it. I mean, there's also a uh, another benefit coming up for another union band, another gentleman. Phil Wax, who went yeah, it. yeah uh, Phil Wax. I'm, Phil I'm Wax, another one, man. We've been getting hit hard lately. Yeah. Um, it's, I, 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 I know Phil. Um, Phil's a real nice guy. He's nothing but ever been good to us. Um, I heard it was a car accident right right around Christmas, I believe it was. So yeah, yeah it's good to see. From what I've heard, he's doing all right. He's kind of getting pulling himself through it a little bit too. Again, I wish nothing but the best for him. Feels a nice guy. So uh, let's talk more machines of penalty. Going back sure. next year will be your fifteenth anniversary. Yeah, yes uh, it will. What have you guys noticed? What have you noticed, Mike, from the very beginning of the band till now, as far as? Uh, accessibility of shows, uh, turnout, those kind of things? Uh, the, the scene over the last 15 years, it, it kind of runs in cycles. It gets it gets real good for a while, then it sort of goes bad. I mean, I, I want to say the pandemic over the last two years kind of hurt everybody, obviously, but it just shut a lot of clubs down. Since that, I will say a lot of our venues in Jersey especially have disappeared. Yeah. Um, Hot Shots was a spot we used to hit pretty regularly. It was always a good spot. Um, we just lost timeout two, which unfortunately we after losing timeout one last year. And then those folks were really putting something nice together there too. They were starting to see maybe covers aren't the only way to go. And we were doing very well with the original nights there. We would do it like once every two months, three months, and we were killing it. And unfortunately, just yeah, I guess the cost of doing business in the state of New Jersey is just, it, it's hurting people. It, it, it makes yeah. it rough. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of, uh, from what I've heard, increases in insurance rates for some of these venues mm -hmm. and things yeah. along those lines. And uh, a big toughening up on uh, drinking and driving, which deters people from going out in the first place. I, I don't. Uh, suggest drinking and driving. I suggest Uber, no matter what, or taxi or designated driver, wherever you're going. But I think some of these laws are also tracking down on people and kind of uh, giving people a, a second thought to maybe going out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you said, even that, I mean, I, I saw that at timeouts. People would get Ubers called all the time. It was not a big deal. It's yeah. just the clubs themselves are having a hard time keeping their doors open, you know. Um, now, um, 
as far as the metal community, you guys are hardcore in that metal community. Jersey being a hotbed of metal for as long as, God, we can remember going back to the metal militia and things along those lines. Sure. Um, can you tell our viewers a little bit more about that metal community? Maybe some stuff that people don't notice just how tight knit you guys are. Uh, well, like I said, it's, we're not the only band that's been around for a long time. There's us, there's our friends in Meat Plow. Um, a lot of the bands over here have been going on for, for a long time. And it, it's, I don't know, they, they, none of us seem to want to give up. So, I mean, it is tight knit. Um, I see it with, with Steve's thing. I saw that GoFundMe went through the roof. And that was a lot of people donating to that. A lot of people from that community. A lot of people donating time and just just um, the raffles. I know they're put, they're they're collecting that for the thing now. So it is it's tight knit. Um, they're all good people. And it's just a matter of staying through it. You know what I mean? And honestly, we love doing it. Um, my twenty year old son put it best to me. He's like, you know, some dads are in bowling leagues. My dad's in a metal band. That's, That's way cooler. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So smart kid. Now, mm -hmm. does he does he follow you a lot into that style of music? Yeah, oh yeah, he, he does. My daughter could care less, but the, the boy's got a much better, <laughs> much more refined taste in music. Um, we agree a lot. And he's getting to the age now where he can actually he's actually involved. He he helps out. We do a lot with um Elephant Talk too. We run a lot of the sound gig with Jerry and Elephant Talk. So we've we've done some charity work with them too. And my son for the last two or three years now, to the point he's running his own stage down there when we do that. So nice down coming all that. Yeah, he's, he's he's into it. He's a little young for a bar yet. He's got a year to go, but gotcha. we're getting them there. You know. Yeah, you want to make sure you're not creating a uh, monster with that kid starting at 21 years old. Nah, he's a smart kid. He's a good kid. He is. I like him. Yeah, so, you think he'll keep him? <laughs> yeah. So what, what what do you listen to, Mike? What are some of your your favorite bands to listen to? Of course, today, I mean, today Ozzy released that he is completely done touring, and I think that's a just probably not a bad thing. Best thing for him to do right now. Yeah, it's showing our age. I mean, been seeing Ozzy for a lot of years. Um, personally, uh, what, what were the big record releases for me last year? Um, a lot of the Coheed and Cambria stuff, my own personal thing. That, that's probably a top five right now for me. Um, Zealand Ander put a record out last year. Asteroids of a young band. They're they're real good. Um, yeah, all over the place, though. I mean, they're, they're like more metal releases. Um, honestly, with the passing of Jeff Beck, I kind of went back and, and, and found a lot of his stuff. I've been listening to that nonstop yeah. for the last like, maybe month or so now. So you forget how good that guy actually was. Like, but man, that, that dude could play guitar. Man, I was talking to, um, and I'll be with him next week, Mark Azello from Halftime. And he said, he said when metal bands get together, when metal bands show up for a show, there's no better community than the musicians that are in those bands because I'll stay around and watch the other bands and, support the other bands how much does that support like how 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 much does that mean to you guys uh, it's all of it i mean it, it, it's yeah one of the things with what we do and being local and, and original and uh, the bands you're talking about 
it, it, it is a scene. It is, it is self-supported by the people in it. And what I mean by that is like, I mean, if the big bands tour, Iron Maiden tours every two or three years, I, I go all the time. Every time they tour, they start showing up every weekend. I might give a couple of them a pass. We're playing locally. And we're asking all of our friends to come out and say, hey, listen, come to see us in Delaware. Next weekend, hey, come see us in in Atlantic City. The following weekend after that, come see us up in Ben Salem somewhere. So it, it's it's a bit of a grind to drag people out and get them consistently to come out and see. And so the, the, the support of the other bands matters immensely. It, it's one of the things that get you through, you know. Um, like I said, Mark's Club down there, Halftimes, that's a nice little spot. Um, we played down there a few times. Um, he has a core group of bands down there that are very inclusive guys. They're all real nice people. I know Burned in Effigy, our drummer, we share a drummer with Burned in Effigy. And those guys play down there all the time. Gotcha. Um, so. Now, as see- a veteran of this scene, what would you suggest to some of the young upstarts just now coming in? Keep your head about you. Um, keep at it. I mean, like I said, you're, you're probably not going to be a rock star, but it really don't matter. Yeah. You do it because you love doing it. Then as long as you keep that in your head, you're doing it for the right reason, you'll be fine. You'll have a great time. A lot of memories, a lot of stories. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it constantly on this show, the difference between here and, like, Europe or other parts of the world as far as uh, music scenes and music is concerned they um have you ever experienced overseas have you you ever been there as far as a rock fan no 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 i have not i love it yeah it's on my bucket list yeah it's something it's a matter of putting the tour together um i i've kind of done some overture looking into it a little bit to see what it would take um you know, maybe maybe actually put together a tour with maybe one or two other bands and work something out. I do have a few connections over there. Um, some from people we play with. Actually, the other place we looked is over at like Asia and Japan. Um, I, I know that um, Chris Natalini and his crew went over there a couple of years ago, managed to put a tour together. And from what I've understood, it went really well for them. So nice. <laughs> now, a question that I have, and it just happened today i'm not sure if you saw the nominees for the rock hall of rock and roll hall of fame or what they call the rock and roll hall of fame but to me it kind of sat a little sour to see uh missy elliott on the same ticket as iron maiden like any thoughts to that uh you know what it's that place it's a it's a commercial entity um i've watched it over the years um there's been uh, there's been years where i've been into it I know a lot of people had a problem with Snoop a couple of years ago getting in there. And I was like, you know what? He was cool, though. And I guess it's all rock and roll just because it sounds a little different. So be it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to say I loved every band that's ever been inducted. Um, some I do. Some I don't. Some of the rock and roll. Some of those shows. I was a big fan of the year Rush finally got allowed to go in the yes. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I thought Dave Grohl and his guys kicked ass. Pretended to be rushed for that little thing. I was, that was that was one of their high point moments. I thought the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've seen other inductees. I've seen um, Art. They they did that set with Jerry Cantrell, Allison Chains. That was a great one. Again, I know there've been key elements over the years. Um, 
So yeah, do I have does Missy Elliott belong in there? Sure, why not? You know, she belongs in there as much as anyone else. I mean, she sold records. She sold records to 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 you know rebellious kids who had their own way of thinking. Did I buy any of those records? No, no. But you know, it's cool. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, there's, I'm sure there's other people that have been inducted. I ain't bought their records either. So. Or, Iron Maiden, uh, I bought all their records, and I think they're a little long past due to get in there. Yeah, there's, but let's face it too. There's been a, there's been many a year of a we'll call it a cold shoulder toward the metal community. Yeah. Oh yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, there's been a couple people. I mean, Rush was nominated for what, like 19 years. Yeah. You know? it, and if, eventually they they get in by the skin of their teeth, but like bands like. I'm not saying again. I'm not going to say the bands that like don't belong there, but like Lincoln Park's in there after six years. Lincoln yeah, Park, right. good. They're cool, but really, they got in there seven years before Rush. Like, come on, you know. Like to me, so. it sits a little rough to see how long Metallica's been in there and Iron Maiden hasn't been. Has isn't there yet at all? Like, yeah, exactly. Now, I'm I'm a little biased. I'm definitely more in that Maiden camp than the Metallica. I could I could probably. Do that. I saw you put something up the other day in a post, and I think you referred to that Lux Eternus song or whatever. Is it's just good enough to like keep them there? And I was exactly like, That's a right. Really accurate description of that song. I mean, I got to say that song. You heard it once, and I went, I never had need to hear that again. Right. Like, exactly. Don't care. And I got to say, I haven't really been a big fan of that band since probably '89. Yeah, I, I think that's all of us that kind of grew up with Metallica. Like, we remember when Master of Puppets came in or Ride the Lightning came in, and then we started falling off, like, the Black, the Black Album. Album. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that Enter Sandman came out, and I kind of remember watching that. It's funny, this past weekend I got together with some guys that were in my first band when we were young dudes, 17, 18 years old, and we, we, we ran into each other at one of our 50th birthday parties, and we got together and said, ah, let's get together and jam. We did. Um, our, our buddy Henry was a drummer, hasn't played drums in 30 years. I say he did really well, actually. He was a little sore, but he, he pulled it off. But I remember being at a rehearsal in his house in 1990, 89, 90, when Enter Man came out. And just watching, everybody's jaw on the floor, kind of going like, what is this? Like, wh where, where is this from? Because th that was the record coming off of, you know, Master of Puppets, which was a masterpiece, you know. Yeah. Now, so, I mean, there, there's always been a debate whether or not, and that's something that we're actually going to do. Uh, we have another show called uh, Rock Debate Club that we're doing next week, which will be <laughs> Megadeth versus Metallica. And mm -hmm. I, I you, you know, it took me, God, to till maybe last week before I realized how much of a contributor Cliff Burton was and the missing of Cliff Burton might've been what that turning page was. Oh no. I, I, th I agree with that a thousand percent. I, I think, I, I think that justice for all was the last viable record. And it almost feels like, I think when Cliff was still around, he was the direction of that band. So I think what it ended up being that the, the, the riffs and the songs, even though Newstead's technically on that record, Cliff had passed away by then. The the, the 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 idea and the kernel of the songs was already like Cliff's idea. Like so, it was yeah. Kind of, and then I think what ended up happening was the next record out was that that Black album, 
and I think they were desperate for a bit of direction. And are guys like Bob Rock and like, you know, mega million dollar producers. You know, we we did a show with Warren a hundred years ago. And I remember people saying, like, dude, you guys are playing with Warren, aren't they like a glam metal? And I'll <laughs> tell you what, they were heavy, they were great, they were yeah. awesome. Because ultimately nobody picks up the guitar and 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 their bass and their drums and says, let's go out and just write these songs and look pretty and dollar shells up with me. Everybody starts playing to try and be cool. And these guys could play. They brought it. They were a great live band. And there was a lot of people in that audience who were like scratching their heads saying, this is not cherry pie. What the hell is this? Yeah, right. They were. They were a great band who, honestly, some producers got a hold of, made them into something they weren't on the record or in an image. But bottom line, when you stick them in a little club somewhere with maybe 60, 80 people, and they're playing, and these guys are tearing it up. But they're the real deal, you know. I'll tell you what. When you they lose track of that, the album that came out after Cherry Pie, with how commercially successful Cherry Pie was, that mm -hmm. very next record, Dog Eat Dog, I got to say, is one of the Good most kick-ass hard rock albums ever produced. Like, uh, there's so it's it's so underrated. Uncle Tom's Cabin is like a gem. Great song. You know, the other band to do that was Cinderella. They came out with that Night Moves, which is like this glam metal record. And then they came in, the, the follow-up to that was that Long Cold Winter, which which was a commercial flop. It's an incredible record. It's a great, yeah. front to back, it's just a nuts. Like, this this album's awesome, you know? And then it just didn't, it didn't, people wanted more Shake Me, you know what I mean? And it, it's, eventually, you, you gotta move on a little bit, but I don't know. I, yeah, I think the Metallica thing was they were just looking for a direction. I think when they lost Cliff, they lost their direction. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And then I think they hired direction rather than coming up with their own. They kind of just said, well, we got a few bucks now. Let's let's pay this guy to give us some direction. Yeah. I, I don't know. People would argue it worked. I mean, they went on the it, like super stellar success. So what the hell do I know? You know? Yeah. Kirk Hammond sits there and says, I can suck all day long on my $250 million ranch now. I think yeah, Kirk's right. right. I'll go in a corner and I'll shut the hell up. <laughs> you know? uh, a couple comments from our viewers. Um, uh -oh. The GoFundMe page has been a, uh, added to the stream, so that's good for Steve Beach. Cool. Um, tickets are not being sold, so they're bought at the door, which is great news for that. Um, a quick shout-out to Steve Prestup. How are you? And uh, Jim Sorry from Shades of Grey. Uh, no, not Shades of Grey. I'm sorry, Jim from uh, Psychedelic Elder. Sorry, Jim. And uh, just a big shout out to everybody watching. And uh, we're once again, we're here with Mike Collins of um, Machines of Penalty. And man, I gotta say, I got a kick out of when uh, you guys were playing the when you were playing the uh, Christmas match, yeah. yeah. Your lead singer looks exactly like my best friend from high school. Like, it, like my wife just sat there with her jaw <laughs> up, and she's like, "Oh my god, he looks just like him." But uh, <laughs> now, how how long of a set would you guys enjoy to play if there were no restraints, no time limit? How long of a set would you prefer to play? Um. 45 to 50 minutes are usually comfortable when you're doing it with a couple of different bands. The longest set we ever played is probably back when the Cherrywood was open. 
that was like our that was our backyard bar. Like we 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 all lived down there, and we we would we had a little bit like we had leeway to do what we want. I think the longest set we ever did down there was about an hour and twenty, hour and thirty minutes. Um, and she's been around for a long time, so we have a lot of material to fill that. It's not like we're sitting there struggling, like oh, we have seven songs. I mean, we have two full records plus. There's probably another two, two or three EPs floating around and stuff like you know, limited release and all that. Um, we're in the process now of actually we got about four or five things coming. I don't think we're going to do a full length release this year. The plan is to maybe do a couple of short releases. Um, gotcha. At the level we're at, what we find is when you work, put all that blood, sweat, and tears into a record, which takes a long time to do, is very expensive. You get a little bump locally. All of a sudden, like you get an interest and people come out to the shows. And what we found is you get the same bump from releasing one song and some other interesting, maybe some live stuff or maybe some whatever, some studio like one-off stuff. And you get the same bump from doing like one new song and maybe two or three things you just recorded. And I'd rather do that four times a year because the bump's the same. Yeah. Whether it's a 10, 11 song, full length, hour and 20 minute EP or whether it's a uh, one or two new songs. And so I think that's the process. We're going to try that out in the next maybe 18 months or so. Um, I think the, the trend right now seems to be the EP. So maybe that's like, yeah, I think even, think even bands way bigger than us are doing that now. So, yeah, I mean, if you release a song every couple of months, like you're talking about and then collect them all on one EP, mm-hmm. so they're all in one place. I mean, that seems to be the growing trend right now. And you, like, you're right. It's very expensive to get into the studio and not to mention the people's attention spans aren't what they used to be. Not at all. That that's, that's changed immensely. I guess this with the computers and the YouTube and all that, um, we are working on starting a YouTube channel with the band. Um, it's a lot of work um, is what it comes down. What we're finding is it's, it's not just, well, let me everybody bring their cell phones and record each other, you know, Right. It, the prep of it's actually we're we're doing a lot of work. I see you doing it there, and it's got a lot. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it, it really is, and I think that's something that a lot of people take for granted and think that people that are involved in music can just. It, it's an expensive hobby. <laughs> it's a very expensive hobby. I see behind you there a couple of guitars on the wall and all that. They um yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it's. Like, um, favorite place to play that you've ever played? Favorite or favorite show? My best show Machines and Penalty has ever managed to pull off was with, we, we, we got an opening slot on a tour with Straight Line Stitch for a couple of dates. And we played up at the old Finnegan's Wake. That was the single probably most people. That night we played to about seven or 800 people, I think. That, that was a big awesome. room. And it was the main stage. I don't know if you remember Finnegan's Wake, but it was wasn't the basement. It was the main floor, and we there was it was a that was a great gig. Like kind of felt like a rock star that night. Um, historically, my favorite place to play is probably Bar Thirteen in Delaware. Um, I I just love that place. I love John. I love Matt. He's an awesome dude. Um, Mike A is a great guy. I've known him for longer than I care to think about now. You know? <laughs> But um, no, Matt, Matt's always excellent with us. John's the best sound guy around. Like, it's just always yeah, a great time. He just knows his room. Like, we always sound great there. The crowd there, the people there. It's just what a rock and roll bar to, to me. That's what it should be. I always, I always feel very comfortable in there. 
the one thing that I must say out of the past two years, I'm glad that you guys are not playing behind plexiglass any longer. Yeah, that, that was a little weird. But you know what? Here's the thing with them, though, too. It, I'm not going to say the plexiglass didn't suck. It did. <laughs> However, we were playing. And that was a thing. That was Yeah. They kept it alive through all that, and they said, "Listen, guys, you just want to play. You just got to play behind these stupid plexiglass shields." I said, "Okay, we're there." And they were like, "Cool, we'll go buy the plexiglass." And they they put it up, and it was it was, it was the weird glare of the lights through the plexiglass. It was it was a rough <laughs> couple of shows. All the tabletop in the parking lot. Yeah. I remember sitting around the tables out in the parking lot, and like. Yeah. It, it was a unique experience. It was it was fun though. Like I said, not, not bad memories. Was it a little no. bit problematic? Sure. Yeah. But I mean, again, we got through it. We never really took much of a break. We got to play the whole time. It was a lot of fun. You know, I have no complaints. I got to say, man, uh, exactly right. Matt Matt's choice to continue through that. Mm-hmm. meant a lot to the rock community, meant a lot to the local musicians. And really, I mean, you're right, help keep rock alive at that point. Absolutely. Because, like, there were so many venues that were still shut down. Well, I mean, again, nothing reopened in Jersey. Hot shots, none of them. I can't even name you a place off the top of my head to play. You know, I know there's a couple things down in, in AC, but from what I've heard recently, it looks like the beret might have shut down. Oh, they yeah, they shut down. They're going to fine dining. Well, there you go, fine dining. That's where you need the more data, Atlantic City. And yeah, right. There. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know that anchors down there, but I don't know much about that place. Um, uh, other than that, I don't. I can't think of any rooms down there. I know the watering hole does some stuff off and on. Um, hit or miss, though. I don't know what they're doing lately. I haven't seen them advertising anything. So I can't tell you of a venue that oh, like that does original music, whether metal or rock or folk. I don't care what it is. There's not many around that'll do it. And I'll be honest yeah. with you. You know, there was a point where I believed that maybe it wouldn't. Like I was buying the hype, that the local hype, that it wouldn't sell. But I've been to some shows lately where it was original music and the place was mobbed. Back. We've done it. You know, there's, there's some bands that work well together. Um, again, I mean, as we become Ghost Record Release yeah. Act, they did a show at Casey Ray's on top of the Violent uh, Landis Theater. Uh, they did a thing called the Breaks Contest a couple weeks back yeah. on Sunday afternoon with the Eagles in the playoffs, and they packed mm-hmm. the place. I think original was- music has its possibilities. Well, it's, 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 I mean, ultimately the cover stuff doesn't exist without some original band occasionally writing you a song to cover. <laughs> exactly you know? right. Um, like ultimately, you know, and, and again, I, I have a hand in that studio over there in Pittman Audio Alley. And it's funny. I, we, we, it's at a point now where we kind of even make fun of them, but I don't know how many cover bands I've had come into the rehearsal part of that studio and say, all right. We're, and they'll have that little initial discussion on what they're going to do. And they're going to be, you know, well, we're going to, we're going to be a cover band. We're going to do different stuff. Like we're going to do Ozzy, but we're going to do stuff that nobody else does like crazy train. <laughs> and you sit there and like, like we'll be sitting there listening to them going, do these guys fucking hear themselves? Like, do they hear what they're saying? And they, that's, that's, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I, every time you go out to see these cover bands, it's the same 20, 25 songs. But that's the same way radio is. Like, 
this area, I mean, mid-Atlantic, Philadelphia, I guess we're in a Philadelphia market here. The radio stations around here are horrible. They're yep. terrible. Like, I mean, MMR is a terrible radio station. They play 12 songs on constant rotation, and they think there's something special because occasionally they'll whip a song out from like 10 years ago. And then there's some songs that'll never go away, like that Seven Mary Three song. <laughs> that, that song, it's been on the radio every day. I can't turn the radio on and not hear that stupid song. I hated that song. I hated it the day it came out in 1992. And here we are 30 years later. And it's still, it's like a nice pick to the forehead. You know, so. Man. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. So the original bands, that was a fight. We, not a fight, but we used to beg, um, what's some Cheryl up there at timeout? So Cheryl, give us a night. She was like, well, you know, original stuff. And then, uh, honestly, if you, you get her on there, you talk to her. Cheryl, what do you think of original band? She loves us. From a bar owner standpoint, she loved us. Every time we did that, we would put the right bands together, and we would pack the place. It was you, packed. You got a fan of your Night Swan. Like, oh, yeah. Somebody bringing up the Night Swan on the wall behind you. Yep. It's a new one, actually. They are nice. They're beautiful. They play great. So is that your go-to? Like, what's your favorite guitar? Ah, honestly, Charvels, I'm using a lot of them right now. I got a bunch of there. There's the room. I'm a collector. I've been collecting for years. So, um, My go-to machines of penalty guitar have always been pretty much the Charvels the last three or four. I played Stratocaster for years, and then the Charvels was just—they just leveled up the Strat. Um, with with the other guys I played with, that got a Royal. That seems to be more like a Gibson bass, Les Paul kind of a vibe to that. So, you know, Man, kind of fun. Uh, also, people agreeing with no uh, no original music left, um, music venues left, and also agreeing with your take on uh mmr they do suck <laughs> i mean i i've had friends of mine who were pretty tight with jackie bam bam and jackie bam bam mentions that he's not he's only able to play what he's allowed to play. no but it's, it's and that, job dude he's he's he got it he's got a mortgage to pay i'm sure i'm not faulting him for but i'm saying like you watch like an old movie where they talk about what like radio was like in the 60s and 70s where you could be get a job at like a radio station and be like yo i'm going to play the b side of this queen record because i think it's awesome and like okay and all of a sudden you have these like like kind of i don't know like not, uh, what would the word be kind of like these naturally occurring hit songs because some dj somewhere was like yo i dig this i'm going to play this and then somewhere along the line, like, you know, Bean Counters got involved saying, well, let's do this so that we can sell more widgets and let's play the crap out of. I always feel like you're spoon fed what's good. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, do I really need another like, like, yeah. Breaking Benjamin's a good band. Every song sort of sounds the same, you know, but it just feels like it was it was like a computer, a computer generated thing. It's almost like, well. If we play this, it's safe. It's kind of rocking enough, and we'll 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 be able to sell more ad time. That's all. Yeah. God forbid you have anybody out there doing something too crazy. You know, like the, there's something to be said for the Marilyn Manson's in the world, whether you like him or hate him. I'm not a big fan of what he does, but 
I think it's cool that he does it, I guess. You know what well, I mean? You know, Jay-Z came out and said that they, that rap artists were the new rock stars of the world. And for, a little right. while, for a little while, it sat a little ill with me. And then, you know, to come and realize, you know, they're taking chances. They're saying things in their music that rock used to say, but we don't say it in our music yeah, anymore. Yeah. And they appear to keep it PC. Now we get Lux Eterna. Like, what? Yeah. Really? Like, uh, I think I'll just watch TV. You know what I mean? Like, I just, eh, I'm not feeling it. So, and again, you do it because you love it. That's, I mean, uh, I'm not sitting there saying we write great songs or anything. We write what we can write. I mean, sometimes it's a fight. Um, you have that fight. You sit there and struggle with guitars and, and, and practice times and showing up. And it's a commitment, you know. So is and any anybody who's doing this, whether at the Metallica level or like kids just buying their first guitars at 15 and 16 years old, saying I want to be a rock star, it, it it gets in the blood and you just you just do it, you know. That's it. So, so uh, Mike, one more question before I let sure. you go. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, next upcoming gigs that people can check you out at. Um, next upcoming gig, again, we have the thing for Steve we are doing on February 19th, Trio Tavern. After that, we don't have much going on until May 12th, 5-12, we are playing The Fire with Shallow Side, which is not an announced thing, so if you ask where you heard it, I'm going to deny it. But um, through Vertigo Entertainment, so that'll be our next gig coming up. We're going to be pushing that one, trying to get some faces out to see that one. Awesome. So... Mike, thank you so much for being with us tonight, brother. Anytime, CT. Always a pleasure to see you. All right? And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later on, buddy. Bye-bye. Good night. So there he was, man. That was um, Mike Collins from Machines of Penalty. Uh, much appreciative of them hang him hanging out with us tonight. If you haven't checked out Machines of Penalty and Metal's Your Thing, man, that is the way to go. They are a killer band. Uh, really heavy. So just be forewarned on that if you're going out to check him out. Now, my next guest, I've talked to him quite often on Facebook. Uh, really admire how he knows as much as he knows, man. It blows my mind. Everybody, please welcome Joey Bruno. Joey, how are you, my friend? Hi, CT. How you doing, brother? Good, man. Good. I know you're uh, on top of the world with the Eagles in the Super Bowl, bro. Yeah, this city's alive, man. With the uh, with the sound of birds, <laughs> you know that was the one thing that I told my wife when when the Eagles made it into the Super Bowl is this is great for area businesses. Oh yeah, and it can be great for the area bands as well. It's good. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, you know of Ken Queter. He's down there doing tailgate parties. You yeah. know, every every game this this almost the whole season. So. Uh, and, you know, he's got his little tip drawer out there, so he's making a little money down there. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoying so, it. It's a good uh, thing. So, Joey. Hey, uh, before, before we start, I want to say that i got to check those guys out, man. I love that guy, the, the, this uh, this guitar player from, from the previous interview. Oh, uh, yeah. Machines of Penalty, great band. If yeah. you like harder metal, yeah. uh, they're, your, they're a really good band to check out. Did, did I hear him say they've been around for 30 years? Uh, he's been in the scene for 30 years. The okay. band itself has been around for about 15. Okay. And it's interesting what he brought up about WMMR. If, if we want to touch on that later, I have, I have some uh, interesting stories about that. 
going back, though. I'll tell you what, Billy. I always counted myself as a bit of a rock historian. I, I really, like, I love rock and roll going back to its earliest days. Um, that's one of the reason why I do what I do. I watch every rock documentary I can get my hands on, but no matter what I do, I don't think I have in my mind or my knowledge base, what you have, like every day you're posting stuff like, I'm, I'm like, Oh my God, how does he know this? This is so great. So it's good. Like how long have you been following this and what got you into like the rock historian side of things well i'll tell you i'll try to make it the short version so i mean it, you could pretty much figure it was in my blood because very odd choice for the very first album that i ever bought as a 10 year old kid um i already had like some beatles and stones albums that my brother had like turned me on to and left when he left for college and uh some maybe some like 45s that were hanging around the house you know but the first actual album that i bought with my own allowance money was Jeff Beck truth. I was 10 years old, 1968. So, you know, I was already like, you know, that album is, is not the kind of album that a 10 year old back in 68 would use yeah. pick. And then I followed it up with like, you know, with Inagata DeVita and let it bleed and Led Zepp one, you know, so, I was already really, especially into the English thing, you know, I, I guess I, I'm an Anglophile, I guess you could say. So that being said, um, around that same time, around the age of 10, I, I realized that I, I uh, well, I actually heard, um, I heard a song by Naz, a, a Philadelphia band, you know, Todd Rundgren's former band from the 60s. And uh, they had a song called Under the Ice on their second album. That is a brutal, heavy song, right? But the drums on that song, okay, guy named by the name of Tom Mooney. I'm just telling you, like to me, to this day, I listen to that track and I still can't even figure out what this. You know, this is the most intense drumming I've ever heard, still to this day. And I heard that, and it just struck a chord with me. And I said, you know what? I want to play drums. I mean, this is what I think I, I should be doing. And I right got right into it. I started taking lessons and uh, studied here and there and. By like 71, I was, you know, 70, 71. I hope we had a little jam room in my house, my mother's house there in the basement and guys would come over and took off from there. I mean, uh, you know, played mostly in all original bands, a couple of cover bands in the, in the late seventies, maybe mid seventies, but started off right away with original music, you know, writing the songs, you know, hooking up with the right people. And, uh, and that went on. Okay, so you go you go through that around the eighties is when I really really when, when when alternative rock and stuff like that came about, I really got into that. I mean it really uh it struck a chord with me. So that was really for me, my favorite times that I experienced were the late seventies to the late eighties, maybe early nineties, you know. Uh and I was into just such a diverse you know, at that point in time, there were so much different kinds of diverse music that was being, you know, released and produced and written and performed. And, you know, we here in Philly, we had some incredible venues during those years. And and a lot of them. I once did a Facebook post where I listed 
how many venues, live venues for original music there were from the years, I think I, it was from like 78 to like 86 or 87. It was over 100. Wow. Over 100. And many of them were actually in existence at the same time. So it's not like you could say, you know, there was there was 10 this year. and t- They actually just, you know, they crossed into one another so that it, many times there was as many as 50, you wow. know, active booking, booking live original music. So that was a very uh, productive time for me. And, you know, I got to get into that, you know, coming from the 60s with the whole psychedelic, the hippie thing, the Woodstock thing, the 70s. I got right into punk rock. You know, I got into the Pistols, the Clash, the Ramones, and then a lot of the more obscure, you know, punk bands. And all I got into industrial, and so I just so over the years I have just amassed this uh, knowledge, I guess you would say, of. I, I mean, some people are they're they're good with one genre of music. They may know a lot about one genre of music, right? But with me, it worked out that here we are in 2023 that you know and i don't even know how the not how all this stays in my head a lot of my friends and family say to me all the time dude you, you know you're you're a burnout yeah you <laughs> now i mean that in the in the in the kindest sense in other words you know being in rock and roll being in bands being in a drummer i don't bullshit i'll i tell you straight up you know i had a bad cocaine habit for years and years and years okay as a matter of fact, I didn't stop doing cocaine until 2010. Wow. So that's how far I took it, all the way up into the 2000s, you know. So, you know, the brain cells, I don't know what's happening here, but all I know is I took a real long sabbatical. Uh, I'll tell you the truth, in 2018, I didn't even have a Facebook account. Uh, I just had gone on YouTube. I had never even seen YouTube. And... Uh, the first thing I did was start a YouTube channel, and uh, I just started uh, a math, you know, going through, you know, down that YouTube rabbit hole, so to speak, which led to the internet rabbit hole, and the and Google and this and that, you know. So it works out that here it is, you know, like I've I've only been on Facebook three years this July. Wow! And I have managed in that pretty short amount of time you know, to find a niche, you know, where when I got on Facebook, let me tell you, and especially I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the Philly music scene. When I got on Facebook, there was nobody. Now we had a guy named George Manny, who was the historian for Philadelphia. And I mean, he was an active historian. He was out there. He was filming stuff. He was collecting video and films. He had a movie in the works, uh, you know, unbelievable what this guy did he is legend unfortunately he passed away about five years ago about a few years before i got on facebook now i by no means have ever even thought to take his place Uh, you know what i do is is a little is a lot different than what he did i'm more of a digital archivist um as far as that's concerned Uh, as far as physical archive material i have a good bit of it and I scan it and I post it, you know. But what I may mainly do is I collect and curate digital archives of music's history. Or I guess you could say of rock and all its subgenre 
histories. Right. Um, and that would include everything from Motown to jazz rock fusion, which is something I love. I mean, I love Return to Forever, Mahavishnu Orchestra, you know, oh, yeah. all those bands, Alan Holdsworth. You know, I, I love all that stuff too. So what happens is when you are into so many different genres of music and then you're a music, you know, freak, as I have been since the age of 10, you pick all this stuff up and it just, you know, it goes into these little, 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 little chambers in your brain. And then I look at something and it, and I go, Oh, you know, I remember that. And I have a story that goes with that. And then I do that. I'll post the story with the photo, with the, with the flyer, you know, and that's what I just, I started doing. Um, and I have so many stories that, you know, I, I, I could never even in my whole lifetime, I couldn't tell them all. Right. You know, but uh, so that's where, where, where a lot of this came from. And a lot of it also comes from, so in the seventies, I was very adamant about meeting every, like every concert I went to, I had to f try to meet the, somebody from the band. And it was usually the drummer, of course. You know, because I would I would always do the drummer thing. You know, I'm a drummer, too. I love your right. Your, you know, and so I actually got to meet like so many people. I mean, I, I can't even tell you. And that's a lot of knowledge, too, because I wasn't the typical kind of guy. I wouldn't be up. How oh, I love I love your your band. Oh, they're so, you know, I approached them really on a very mature level, even as a teenager and from a musical level, which they seem to to like. But I'm sure some of them did, you know, some of them were probably right, like, oh, right. the last thing I want to do is talk about music, <laughs> right? But they were nice about it, you know. So, you know, through that, I mean, I, I hung out literally for a whole day with Carl Palmer from Emerson Lincoln Palmer. Wow. Literally hung out in his hotel room, uh, watched him get interviewed by, like, Rolling Stone, Cream Magazine. This was in 77. Uh, I hung out with Phil E. Hart from Kansas. I hung out with Jeff Beck for one whole hour at the Hilton Hotel on Packer Avenue, just down the block from the Spectrum yeah. in 75 when he played there with the Mahavishnu Orchestra opening up. And I could go on. I mean, I literally met, I mean, I, I met Todd Rundgren a couple of times, uh, one time outside the Tower Theater, one time out in, at, in Ambler, the uh, music cabaret out there, music festival out there. Uh, so, you know, that... Is something that really uh, that that background of me doing that throughout the seventies, and then of course in the eighties, my main uh, I guess you could say my home base was a place here in Philly called the East Side Club, which is legendary. And when I can tell you, it was open from eighty one till eighty five about five years, and every band you could possibly think of that went on to be huge played there in front of 200, 250 people. I mean, Duran Duran, Simple Minds, uh, Tears for Fears. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's off the charts. So literally, this is, you're talking seven nights a week. And I was there seven nights a week. Wow. <clears throat> you know, drinking, doing blow. <laughs> so you know, let me ask you a question as far you know, as the Philly music scene is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, you've been around a long time and you've seen almost everything there is to be seen in Philly. Pretty much. What do you think is the disconnect between the way things were and the way things are now with as far as how hard it is to find a club that will allow uh, original music and, uh, 
even just getting people in the door. Okay. And I'm glad you asked me that. Very glad. So here's the situation right now. Philadelphia has a big problem when it comes to music. You see this shirt I'm wearing, right? So this is well, something. I was down to a city council meeting last Thursday. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the Thursday before that. Uh, so what's going on is some people, you know, we're, we're fed up. We we should be known as what's referred to in the industry or in, in many industries, the music industry, the tourist industry. We, Philadelphia, should be known as what's called a music city. Absolutely. Now, we all know L.A., New York, Nashville. These are music cities. But come on, man. Athens, Georgia is a music city. Uh, where's the South by Southwest held? Austin. I mean, we have a rich, unbelievable music history in this city, not only going back like with rock and roll to the 50s. Right. We go back. I mean, Marion Anderson was the first African-American opera singer right here in Philadelphia. You know, John Coltrane, the incredible jazz oh, saxophone yeah. player, lived right on North Broad Street, you know. So what's happening is over time, now I'm 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 talking in the '80s when I was what I was speaking about earlier. It was great, man. I'm telling you, there was live venues everywhere. There was competition amongst the bands. There was Absolutely. so much going on. But you got to remember the difference was no internet, no laptops. Right. So we were all bands that were in the, in the rehearsal room, sweating, working on tunes, going out playing to you know small audiences work you know doing the old working it up to you know larger and larger audiences you know pasting flyers up all over the city you know dealing with booking agents trying to get good nights it was it was all happening right now what transpired since then is one of the biggest problems i feel is and i don't want to put these this segment of of the music uh creators down but with the advent of the laptop and the instant, you know, create a CD in your bedroom, create a band, you know, um, you got people like Ed Sheeran going out playing to 50,000 people with an acoustic guitar and a, a, a computer, you know, playing backing tracks and a drum machine. You know, it's like it's just become so overwhelming. I mean, I know myself, I'm always looking for new good bands to listen to. It is overwhelming. I have to, like, at some point just go, I can't do it anymore. You know, I have to take yeah. a break. Because there's so many good records coming out. But nobody nobody hears them. You have to look for them. Right, They're right. They're not going to come to you. So I'm one of those people. I'm always looking on Spotify, on YouTube, on the Internet, you know, wherever I can find good new music. But sometimes it just gets so overwhelming. So what happens in Philadelphia is this. Over the course of time, this city has just pretty much just given up on music. I can't go into too many details, but there was something that was in place in this city for many, many years. We're going back into the like 90s or maybe even a little earlier that was supposed to be taking care of all this. They were supposed to be working towards making this a music city. And as you know, you know we were actually a possible for the for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. And we lost that. 
Now, I'm not going to say anything, but somebody dropped the ball. I hear different stories. Some people say, no, that's not the case, but whatever. We didn't get it. And where did it go? Cleveland. Now, they're known as a music city. Yeah. You know, and granted, Cleveland has, you know, Ohio itself has brought out some, some, you know, there's been some great music that's come out of that state and that city and the various cities across Ohio and everywhere else I just mentioned. But the fact of the matter is, Philly, we have, like, we have the Philly sound, Sigma Sound Studios. I mean, we go back to the 50s, American Bandstand, Chubby Checker. You know, it's we had the Latin Casino over in Jersey, which turned into Emerald City in the 80s. It went from a from a Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Rat Pack nightclub to the one of the coolest, most awesome alternative like clubs that we've ever that people still to this day can't believe how great that place was. We have so many venue, legendary venues, the Bijou Cafe that was here in the 70s and the, and the 80s, Ripley Music Hall, J.C. Dobbs on South Street. Dobbs, yeah. You know, this is, I mean, J.C. Dobbs, Nirvana played there, Pearl Jam played there to like 100 people. Who can know? forget the truck, man? I mean, the truck is another one, you know? I mean, come on. So we have so much going on. And then you got to think of, you know, all the artists that have come from here. You know, we have Todd Rundgren right off the top of the bat. I mean, you know, people, all my friends know he's my number one. He's always been my number one. Uh, I have I have two Facebook groups that I admin dedicated to Todd Rundgren. So, you know, when it, people know when it comes to Todd, I'm the guy. I'm like an encyclopedia, you know. But beyond that, beyond Todd, you know, we have all that Philly soul stuff. Yeah, we had a sound. We had Philadelphia's sound. We, uh, well, like, if you want to go with the rhythm and blues, yeah, we had that. You don't want to overshadow, though. See, the problem was, I think a lot of times, like as the 90s progressed and we went into the 2000s, what little recognition Philly was getting was specifically for the sound of Philadelphia, the, the Philly soul stuff that was coming yeah. out of Sigma. I don't want to, I don't want to lessen how important that is but i want to also make sure that people understand that there are so many other facets to what our city has done musically okay i mean a good example in the in the late 70s into the 80s we had the hot club the east side club the love club omni uh on and on we had a really incredible hardcore scene here Hardcore punk, whatever you want to call it, punk rock. Okay. When I say hardcore, though, you know, punk rock is one thing. You know, punk rock yeah. is the Ramones and and a, a few other English bands and stuff. But the hardcore scene, you know, Philly, we had incredible, an incredible hardcore scene. We had bands like Sadistic Exploits, Informed Sources. I could go on and on. And then we had a post-punk scene. Like people talk about Joy Division and New Order and uh, you know, bands of, of the post-punk era. We had some of the best. We had bunny drums. We had executive slacks, you know, and these are bands that incorporated, uh, you know, electronics. And we had the stick men. They're legendary. The stick men, you know, they were, they were literally like James Brown on LSD, you know, so unique. You couldn't find another band in the whole world at any point in time that sounded like the stick men. I think the so, other thing that gets frustrating to me is nobody realizes how big philly was in the eight we were as big as the sunset strip were turning these bands out oh everybody was never stopping. given the recognition for that 
everybody was coming here. Like I said, so you had at the same time at the Philadelphia Spectrum and even Veteran Stadium, you had these major acts coming in. The Stones were playing Veteran Stadium. I mean, look, we had we had the the, the, the JFK thing. Yeah. Legendary with yeah, yes, Peter Frampton, Gary Wright, Pusset Dark Band, right? The four. I mean, everybody talks about that. Every at least not only in Philly, that's that's national, you know. Uh, we had the Stones Steel Wheels tour came into uh, came into the Veteran Stadium. I rode you, I rode you wow. that show. You know, I mean, we had so we had, and then what about Springsteen? I mean, Springsteen. This this could pretty much be uh, other than Asbury Park. Well, during that time when the E Street Band was really out there, you know, touring constantly and putting records out, Philly was like a home base. They were doing oh, the same thing. The same thing could be said for Billy Joel as well. Uh, Billy Joel, he, he, I've heard him in interviews say, you know, that he considers us almost like a, like a second hometown to him, you know, other than New York. So you had so much going on, and then you, I, I'm telling you, literally, I, I, I know this sounds stupid, but I'm telling you, the minute that clock turned to the year 2000, I felt a sea change. I felt it. I saw it. Something changed. I don't know. I mean, I know it sounds crazy that I could that it would be pinpointed to that exact time, but I just noticed we hit the we we changed into this next century, this these two thousands, and ever since then I have watched everything deteriorate, not only in Philadelphia as to get back to your question you asked, but just nationally and internationally. You know, music is at a horrible place right now. Yeah. So you can only imagine with the way things are on an international level, Philly, we're like a small potato in that in that picture. So we need to really step it up. So with that in mind is what this is. So these guys here have formed this, which is the Philadelphia Music Industry Task Force. Now, I went to City Hall, uh, as I said, two Thursdays ago and sat in the city council meeting where they presented all their, um, the whole layout of what they plan to do, uh, what they want to incorporate into, into this whole plan on and on the bill passed. They got funding. So this is the most important thing, believe it or not. You know, even though it's music, I got to see a whole other side. This is all about politics. It's all about red tape. It's all about yeah. money. I mean, I'm at a city council meeting representing the music scene of Philadelphia. You know, it, it was in, it was bizarre in some sense. It was almost like, you know, because we had to actually sit through the whole meeting. Right. So it was like this, you know, before this came up, people were coming up talking about housing issues with their bill and talking about why are they putting a, a, a golf course in the middle of the hood in West Philly, you know, and then we come up and five very eloquent and fantastic speakers uh, from the task force got up and spoke. And it was marvelous. It was just amazing what they said. If I, I wish I would have taped it. I didn't want to pull out my camera, but I would have loved to have videotaped it and, and, and transcribed it. Because it literally said exactly what was wrong and what needed to be fixed. Yeah, that's in awesome. those five. Yeah, in those five statements. So the ball is rolling. 
I mean, I don't have a direct involvement with it. I do have a peripheral involvement right now. My plan is to get very involved as the year progresses. Um, right now, so the bill has passed. Now, just the funding has to be worked out. You know, the amounts, um, what money goes where, et cetera, et cetera. So with that being said, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. As a matter of fact, they've already, um, not this particular, um, uh, uh, not, not the Music Industry Task Force, but another faction that's working to get some things done. I don't know if people know this, but at the International Airport right now, there is a whole exhibit on the sound of Philadelphia. Gamble oh, and Huff. Wow. Yeah, Gamble and Huff, Philly International Records, Sigma, the whole thing. There's a, a So this is a tourist thing. So what this thing has become is when you become a music city, you don't only become a music city, you become a tourist destination. Yeah. So this is why city council is involved because it's going to bring money. Yeah. What they plan to do is open museums everywhere. They're going to open the John Coltrane house as a museum. They're wow. going to open Marion Anderson's house as a museum. They're going to do bus tours. They're going to go to all the locations where the clubs were throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s. They're breaking it down into literally almost into ear into decades. And I have been mainly called upon to to represent the 80s. So whenever this all these things congeal and everything happens, I will pretty much be along with a few other people under me the guy that's going to be handling the 80s. There's other people that are going to be doing the 60s. There's people that are going to be going back hundreds of years even. So let me ask you, Joe. History is there, you know. Piggybacking off of that, um, mm -hmm. and you have mentioned the 2000. You kind of felt was like a stopping point of sorts. Every decade was known as like what sound came out of that decade. So I mean, the 50s you had doo wop, 60s you had like the Beatles and the English Invasion, 70s mm -hmm. you had the creation of heavy metal, but you also had uh, other things going on. 80s was your hair bands. 90s, you got into grunge. Right. I agree with you. 2000 to 2020, here we are 20 years later. What has happened the past two decades? Yeah. What, and, what thumbprint do we have on these past two decades? Well, here's what I, I actually did. It, if you do it like almost mathematically, right? So if you go back to the 50s, you had Elvis. Okay. I'm, I'm talking, let's go, let's go literally uh, with the, 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 the landmarks, the high points, right? So in the in the Elvis, you had Elvis came about about 56, really. I mean, when he really started to, you know. Next thing you had, which would have been, so 56, so eight years later, or, or maybe seven years later, 1963. The Beatles. The Beatles. Now, from 63, I mean, you could, you could, you could say that in between there, you had, you had the, the, the rise of the whole psychedelic rock thing. But really, that just piggybacked on the Beatles thing because the Beatles were the first, you know, they were the inspiration yeah. for most of, right? So you have the Beatles in 63, 64. Now, the next thing really, as far as I'm concerned, that would have been a statement, I would say would, would have been glam rock, which came about around 71, 72. David Bowie, Spirit T-Rex, you know, Alex Roxy Hooper. Music, Mata Hoople. Elton John even was considered glam back then for a while after he came out of his folk phase, you know, when yeah. he did Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Rod Stewart was even lumped in there. 
So that was in, let's say, seven. It started really in early, seven, like late 71. So now you go from 64 with the Beatles to 71. So previously you had an eight-year gap. Now 64 to 71, you only, you have a, you have a, a six, you have a seven-year, eight-year gap again. So you got eight years, okay? Now... You come to 76, not long after the glam rock thing, a few years later. And what do you have? Just punk rock. Explosion. Well, yeah. Hey, pistols come on. You know, but be way before the pistols, I mean, even in 73, we had the New York Dolls, which could be considered glam, but really they were, you know, a punk band. You have MC5 and Iggy and the Stooges back in the 60s, yeah. 68, yeah. 67. They could be considered the, 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 the forefathers. But beyond that, so now we have the punk rock thing comes, and then from that we get spawned post-punk and and industrial and this and that. Yeah. So nothing happens after that. It spawns many subgenres of music, but then nothing happens until when? Ninety-three, we could say grunge really be or ninety-two, really, maybe ninety-two. It didn't really blossom until ninety-four. Yeah. I think, if I recall. Well, I think Nirvana hit it big. They they were the first ones out the gate. I I, right. I feel and with I, uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and that came out in ninety one. Oh, so, did ninety one? Okay, yeah. so there you go. That's really what spearheaded the whole thing. So now we're at ninety one. Okay, and that's it. There hasn't somebody been anything since. Somebody so, mentioned prog metal in two thousand. I mean, you, you, yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah. You I, had I, that. You had some of the new metal. You had the like the Limp Bizkit rap rock thing that was there for a little bit. Yeah, but you know, nothing me, that I would say are, you really cemented. Well, into. look, let me say this then. I did skip something out there. I skipped something. Previous to grunge, I will give props absolutely in the mid 80s to the hip hop or rap. Thing that was going on. the creation yeah i mean now i don't I, that what was being done back then has nothing to do with the hip-hop and rap i don't care you yeah no way bitch at me all you want if you think you know different but i'm telling you grandmaster flash and the furious five curtis blow run dmc uh houdini uh soul sonic force public enemy africa rob, bambada rob these Bates. were all groundbreaking yeah. artists with lyrics that really spoke about what it was like to grow up in an urban environment in an African-American neighborhood that was plagued with problems. And yeah. if you listen to a song like The Message by oh, Grandmaster yeah. Flash, that is hardcore. He's talking about finding babies and dumpsters and track, you know, needles on the This is serious, seriously good writing. And the experimentation they did in the studio with the drum machines and the beatboxes and the very sparse instrumentation. So, yes, I completely forgot about that. That was groundbreaking and revolutionary. So I will throw that right into the mix. But all the bottom line is to get back to your question. So once we get to grunge, which a lot of people, I mean, I talk to people all the time about music, just as we're, we're both talking. And grunge just gets such a bad name. I mean, everybody from everyone, punk rockers hated grunge. Prog rockers hated grunge. Classic rocks, you know, kind of, they were about the only ones that had a little bit of an allegiance because you had like Soundgarden and bands like that that 
kind of bordered on a little bit of a classic rock sound. But for the most part, it gets a bad rap, man. It, it just does. And it's it's a shame because there was a lot of good stuff put out, you know, but it got so crazy. It's just like, you know, there was just too many bands all of a sudden. Too many right. bands were putting out too many records and it got diluted, you know. But since then, you know, you, you could say the prog metal thing. I mean, look, I'm the biggest Porcupine Tree fan in the world. They are, other than Todd Rundgren, they're right there. I mean, they're almost neck and neck with Todd. Stephen Wilson, Porcupine Tree. And to me, they are the best example, you know, as of 2002 when they kind of went prog metal. And they, through them, I've been turned, you know, I've, I've learned, I've discovered many, many more of the prog metal bands. But I would have to say prog metal, not really a revolutionary thing because it's they're basically taking things that already existed, you know, and yeah, just oh, yeah. mashing. It's a mashup, you know. So really, I mean, as far as anything that's broken ground or made the music world, you know, which it's just, look, let's just say this. It's not going to happen. We're done. We're done because if you look at grunge as the last, you know, bastion of that, we're already looking at, 27 years yeah now go back to what i said earlier the time the space the years between all those other things seven years eight years three four you know if it was going to happen it would have happened but it's never going to happen because of the way things are now yeah okay with streaming and believe me i am the list i don't think streaming killed music if you want to do a whole show on that i'll do it i can't stand people who say Oh, I don't like Spotify because they don't pay the artist the, uh, the royalty rate. Who are you? Are you the artist? If the artist didn't want direct their stuff on Spotify, they could take it off at any time. Their yeah. management could take it off. The label could take it off. But they leave it on there. And you know why? Because it's a great promotional tool. Yes. Like, like radio used to be. Do you think when songs were being played on AM radio back in the 60s and 70s, the artist was seeing anything more than a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a penny, just like they are now on streaming. But it was how you promoted the artist to go. It, it sold tickets to their concerts. You bought the album because you heard the song. And, you know, people say Spotify is just this free, you know, thing. Oh, I could go on there. And I can't tell you how many physical CDs I have bought. From me discovering something on Spotify or listening to the new album from a band I like and going, yeah, I like it. I'm buying that. And then I go to their website or I go to Bandcamp. You know, Spotify, yeah. now, Spotify now has it so you can buy the merch right off of the album. So you're if you're listening to an album, you scroll to the bottom. All the merch is right there and it takes you right to their websites. I must admit, and this is gonna i don't know what kind of life is gonna put my viewers in looking at me there's so many bands that i've found off of spotify that i would have never heard about in a million years absolutely that are amazing bands that i know absolutely. now personally just by going through spotify absolutely and you know what what it does is so when that band comes to town ooh, they're good i heard them i'm yeah. gonna buy a ticket or if you're like me a person who look this is this right here, I don't know if you can even see this, but I'll move this a little bit here. That that rack next to me is all the way down to there. That's just my Todd Rundgren collection. Wow. <laughs> There's like a, there, I have about 150 pieces, just Todd Rundgren. So I buy physical product. I'm not one of these guys who just goes on Spotify 
and listens on Spotify right, and no. then, you know, turns it off and goes to bed. I buy physical products. And if you're a music fan and you're sitting there complaining how Spotify doesn't pay the artist the royalty rate, then do something the fuck about it. Go on Bandcamp, which is what I also do, where the artist gets 95 or 90% of the profits, or go to the band's website and buy physical, buy memorabilia, yep. buy T-shirts, you know, do something proactive about it instead of just sitting there complaining. And they're the same people who I might say are on YouTube all friggin' day long, okay? Now, YouTube doesn't pay a whole hell of a lot either. Not to mention, a lot of times, uploaders are making more money oh, yeah. than the artists themselves, you know, on the backs of those artists. But you'll go to YouTube and, like, look, I'll you, give you a good example. On Facebook, and this is something that I'll just touch on briefly because it goes back to what you were saying about the situation right now. I can post photos all day long on Facebook. I could post flyers, posters, print ads from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, whatever. Everybody loves them. Now, I'm not trying to alienate you, my audience, but I got to tell you, it's disappointing. When I post song links to actual songs, to music, which is what this is all about. What I do is about, forget all the, the memorabilia and all that. It's really all about your ears and you listening to the actual music that I'm talking about. Yeah. When I post links, they get nothing. You could go on my timeline and you could look at where I post a song. Now, what is it? It's it's this. One click. It takes all of about five seconds to get to that song I just posted. Nobody clicks through. They You're just right. don't click through. And what they'll do is they'll give it a thumbs up, they'll get, but they won't actually click through. Oh, yeah, I like that song. I remember that song. That's a good song. Thumbs up. You know, this <laughs> is a big problem. This is a problem. I agree. So the problem that I'm having is I can't get people to actually go. And I have so much music that I want to turn and forget about trying to put them into new music. Yeah. I mean, I only have a, a slight little bit of a chance if I give them somebody they already know or someone from the 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s. God forbid, like I've tried to put Porcupine Tree on there countless times or Stephen Wilson, and it just sits there. It, it, it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's crickets, man. Nothing. And it's Well, I saw, I, I think it was your post uh, this past week, Johnny Lydon, uh, his Hawaii. Yeah. I, yes. I clicked through on that, and that was fantastic. And, and that, like, yeah, that, that, that kind of had my heart, too. Oh, man. I've been looking at all the interviews he's been doing lately. And, you know, he gets a bad rap, too, because, I don't know, he did some shit with Trump. You know, he was backing Trump or talking like, you know, being positive about Trump. But you know what? I don't listen to that shit. If, if I listen, you know, if I had to listen to what every musician I like had to say politically or, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, socially or all that, you know, I would there would be nobody I like. So I don't even listen to that shit, man. All I know is... Do you write songs that I like? Do your lyrics strike a chord with me? Does your music strike a chord with me? Do you, do you put on a great live show? These are the things I look for. Right. As a matter of fact, I don't like getting into I don't I don't read any gossip on any rock stars. I don't read any like, you know, what they're who they're married to, what they're doing with their lives. I just it's not my business. It's not our business, 
You know, I know that in this climate with Twitter and all this shit, everybody's so into that. I avoid it like the plague. You know, even like today, you had asked me, you messaged me and you said, did you see who came in as the nominees for the Hall of Fame? And honestly, I hadn't at that point. I had to go look it up <laughs> because I don't even give two shits about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is what I think about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's it's complete bullshit. And I and then I had to go look and I had to see that Missy Elliott is yeah. in there, you know, and even George Michael to an extent. I mean, I, you know, I just like I said, to have Missy Elliott in the same class as the spinners or see, like and Metallica's been in there for 15 years, and Iron Maiden's just now trying to get in there. Yeah. Like, come on, man. And the spinners, the spinners, they've been they've been on the ballot for years. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Spinners have such classic songs. Now, you know, this is this is where I draw the line. So people may say to you, like, I don't like the fact that they put rap in there or country, even because the country music has their own awards, they have their own yep. hall of fame, they have all that shit going on. Why can't we just have one that's strictly rock, man? That's for rock music and its subgenres. You know, if it's going to be country rock, that's good. But this year, what Merlin Waylon Jennings is one of the one of the inductees. Willie Nelson, yeah, Willie, which they are phenomenal artists. Don't get me wrong; they are incredible, but they don't belong in the Rock Hall of Fame. I agree with you. You know, and the problem I have also is that. You know, they it seems like they have to always put these rap artists in there. It was Jay-Z last year, it's Missy Elliott. Okay, if you want to represent the African Americans in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there's plenty to choose from. Oh, right? absolutely. You could go any one of the moats. Like I consider Motown to me, that's rock and roll. Absolutely. It's, it's rhythm and blues, there's no doubt about it. But it was, you know, a major, major important thing of in the rock and roll. It, it, Just it's like Little so Richard said, rhythm and blues had a baby and it was rock and roll. Like, yeah, look at the first couple of Stones albums. It was just nothing but R&B covers. You know, that's how they started. So, you know, the thing I object to is it's almost like, you know, I I, I get it. Everything's got to be PC. You know, I'm, I'm kind of an outspoken dude. I'll tell you, everything's got to be PC now. Yeah. You know? oh, and yeah. I don't care. I'm going to say it like the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing and Jan Wenner. He is a horse's ass. I can't stand him. Okay. His magazine is so irrelevant. It hasn't had anything to do with music for the past 30 years. When he started the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, his magazine, Rolling Stone, was already not even doing anything other than maybe one story about rock and roll in their magazine. Yeah. So why he is all of a sudden the curator of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, it's an ego trip for him. He's hanging on to his last little bit of whatever legacy he has from Rolling Stone magazine. But with this PC environment, you can see what's happening. It's like, oh, well, we can't do it and not and not and exclude African-Americans. And we can't exclude this and we can't. So it's, you know, it's, it's all exclusionary. Yeah. Everybody with the exclusionary and the empowerment, you know, fuck it. I don't care. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Let me tell you something. They have every year with BET. They have the Hip Hop Awards. Yep. They have... Um, There's a Hip Hop Hall of Fame in New York. Yeah, and they have the black, the BMAs or whatever, the Black Music Awards. Okay? Let me see you put Metallica in there. Yeah, right. Okay? Let me see you put, you know, whoever that's well, a rock and roll say, artist. Let's just say Living Color just for the sake of Yeah, okay, there you go. Good example. Yeah, there you go. Put Living Color in there. Right? God forbid. 
they uh, there would be the they would raise the roof to quote many rappers they would raise the roof off the sucker okay i'm telling you it's just not fair but look that's why i don't give a shit about the rock and roll hall of fame anymore i don't even follow it i'll tell you the only thing that that good has come out of it one good thing has come out of it there has been some incredible live performances oh absolutely so i mean and i collect them all i have a whole playlist with you know all of them there's just some of them aren't that good but some of them are phenomenal some of them are absolutely phenomenal especially the ones where they you know where they bring in several members of different bands yeah they do a collaboration like i remember the, the best thing i ever saw in there I, I swear had to be so nirvana had won but of course kurt was dead so they brought in all guest singers to do the nirvana songs so they brought in joe jet to do smells like teen spirit it was phenomenal you know it was it was it was it was a uh, you know the dave Grohl. Chris Novoselic and and Pat Smear, and then Joan Jett with her guitar. Oh yeah, she she rocked the balls off that thing. And then what's your name from Sonic Youth came out. She did a song that to me was spectacular. And that's the one thing I will say that old uh, old Mister Wenner has brought to the table that I appreciate. Other than that, hit the road, Jack. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that fully. And yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what's gotten my attention lately over the past, course of the past couple of years was the East Coast Music Hall of Fame that's in uh, stationed. Uh, now, their museum is supposed to be in Wildwood. Their award show every year is in Atlantic City. I am so, not, I'm not aware of that at all. Yeah, okay. they just started, I want to say, three or four years ago. The, the Their museum is going into, it's an old abandoned VFW that was the venue that Bill Haley in the comments first play rock around the clock. In. Oh. I've driven past the place in a while. They, they, I've seen a couple of decorations on the outside, but they haven't done much to the inside. And they only go up to a certain year. I want to say mid to late seventies. Like well, that's they, their acceptance. Well, they need to get on with some more promotion because I have not, for me to not have heard of it, I yeah. usually hear about I, everything. I want to say they've had three or four award shows. It's usually like, um, God. Uh, but it's it's regional. Yeah. So yeah. The, the awards uh, go to regional artists? Uh, all up and down the East Coast. Up it's, East Coast. It's okay. supposed to be from Maine to Florida. But a lot of it comes from Philadelphia area, comes yeah. from the Jersey Shore area, because Jersey Shore was always real big on that as well. That's an interesting, interesting concept, too. I I would never have thought of something like that. You know, East Coast, Florida to Maine or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's a rather large area, but uh, hey, I'll look it up. I'm going to check it out. I always. Yeah, it's it. really cool. That they usually do their award show in the uh, Constitution, not the Constitution Center. What am I thinking about? They're, they usually do it in the Convention, convention Center. Center. You mean the, oh, the Atlantic City one? Yes. Okay, because I was going to say, if, if you were talking about Wildwood, I have many great memories, man. I saw so many great concerts there in the 70s. I mean, everybody who would play the Spectrum would also play the Wildwood Convention Center. I remember a time when I was growing up, I would spend whole summers in Wildwood, and they would have a place called the Holly Beach Mall that must have been eight or ten different nightclubs. You could walk in one door, walk right out, 
go to like the next club. It was just a whole line of nightclubs when I was growing up, and oh, like the music God. scene was popping back then. Yeah, they had so you know the playpen that was a big one in Wild with the playpen, and you had all the you know like the Philly, uh, the Philly, I guess you could call them, you know, the hard rock bands, uh, Pegasus. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, Britney Fox back then. Yeah, had, yeah, uh, and they were all doing covers, and then they eventually would throw in a couple of originals, you know, here and there, and some of them, like Britney Fox, actually put an album out. Yeah, and uh, you know, but uh, anyway, getting back to you know what's going on here, I want to mention one other thing while before we go. I don't know how much more time we have, but yeah, we're I want to bring this up. Close. This is something I'm involved in. So this is called um, EMI app. Okay. And what it is, is it's the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project. Now, what it is, it is an actual museum out in Harleysville, which is about 20 minutes out of Philly. Okay. And I'm actually working with them. Uh, they hired me to do publicity and press releases and stuff. Nice. And I'm telling you, You've never seen anything like it. I went up there. My jaw was on the floor. They have, they're hooked up, man. They get everything. They have Keith Emerson's, all his, his giant Moog synthesizer, his modular Moog. They have his grand piano from his house that he wrote all those songs on. They have Jimi Hendrix's Woodstock set up, his amp and his pedals and the whole thing. I mean, and, and they have like the, the Pink Floyd sound system on the back of Umaguma. Did you ever see the back of that album? Oh, yeah. Where Absolutely. they have all that equipment. That sound system is there. And it's set That's up crazy. just like with, yeah, the actual sound system. Uh, they Yo, have, can you post a link to that on the yes. Rockwell Union page? Yes, I will. Because I'm trying to get people out there. What they do is they book tours, it's a nonprofit. So um, they work on, you know, on arts grants and on, the kindness of of strangers so what you could do is you could book a tour uh for uh up to three people and uh you know it's free but if you want to donate at the end of the tour but i'm telling you it will blow your mind completely i mean they have uh like they have pete townsend's marshall stack that he rammed his oh yeah the neck of his guitar in in that classic in that classic concert that he did that they have that there it's just floor after floor, room after room. I mean, it's endless. It's just oh, I endless. definitely gotta go check. This then out. they actually, besides like the the famous people's instruments, then they just have like the history of things. Uh, like there's one room, and it has literally every single effects pedal ever fucking created. Wow. For guitars, from the very like ones that you don't even know existed from like 1950s, maybe even the 40s. The wow. the the, the the uh the uh you know things that people were just making in their in their little workshops in their garages that went on to progress to eventually into what we have today and you see the progression you go from one from up here is all the early stuff and you come down until you get to the current and they do the same thing with keyboards drum machines uh mixing consoles it's just if you are any type of if you're a musician or a fan of music you have got to see this place and it's right in our backyard you know it's it's philly that's awesome and yeah i definitely gotta get yes you know, please post that link so uh, i will definitely post that link definitely yeah i'll, I'll jump on that tomorrow and start scheduling <laughs> i mm-hmm. definitely want to go check that place you gotta out. go see it ct you will you will love it and all your 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 people who watch this i'm telling you 
Anybody who's a player right off the bat is going to love it. But it goes beyond that. Yeah, it's great. So, Joey, thank you so much for being All right, with my us friend. tonight. Man, I definitely want to bring you back because I know you and I could shoot the shit for hours. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Sorry well, if I got on my soapbox a little bit there, but I tend to get a little worked up. Dude, always feel welcome to do that here, man. That's what we're okay. here for. So, Joey, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your evening. I will do that. And we'll do you talk want me soon. to send you the link on the on Messenger? Or uh, if you can post comments? it on the wall and oh, okay. send it to me personally, that'll work both ways. Okay, you got it. So, thanks, Joey. All you right, have brother. a great rest of your night. You too. Take care now. Bye-bye. So there was Joey Bruno, guys. Great guy, man. He knows his stuff. I am so excited to have talked to him. And, uh, guys, once again, uh, touching base on what we announced in the beginning of the show, February's Artist of the Month, it seems like Tuesday, our Rock and Roll Union 5th Anniversary Bash is upon us April 8th at the Union Fire Hall in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. That will see Sick Vicky, Carte Blanche, and a band that played the very first Rock and Roll Union Live event, Scorpio. They are a Scorpions tribute. They go back, way back with the Rock and Roll Union to our very first year. And uh, so much more good stuff going on, guys. There's a lot of great rock and roll shows going on this weekend. You can go check out uh, Landis Theater. They have tributes to Dio, Iron Maiden, and Judas Priest. There's uh, tributes to the band that's playing, Scorpio, that we were just talking about. They're playing at halftime with Guns N' Roses tribute, Paradise Rose, and there's a plethora of other bands and other music going on out there, guys. There's no reason to not get out and support live local rock. So, guys, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We will be, like I said, live on location next week. We'll be at halftime in Newark, Delaware, talking with my boy, Mark Azello, about the music scene and We'll just keep touching base with all these movers and shakers of the rock world, man. And until next time, don't just leave it. Leave it better. Have a great rest of your week, guys.